Good afternoon, NCBC. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Brett Lewis. My wife and I, uh, Mandy, just, just uh, recently started coming here, and we're so grateful to be here with you all. So yeah, we really are so thankful for the way that you've cared for us and uh, loved us, and um, yeah, just so grateful to be here. I also am serving, uh, as James said, as a pastoral assistant here, and um, yeah, would love to, to meet you if I haven't met you already. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, which I believe, if you're using one of the blue Bibles, is on page 819, 819. Again, that was Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. And uh, again, if I haven't, haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after service, so please don't be shy. Uh, I'd love to say hello. Um, let me pray for us, and then we will begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We pray that you would help us all to love your word, Lord, that we would treasure it, and that through uh, treasuring your word, we would treasure Jesus. We pray for help in our time, that you would give us much help in the receiving of your word, and uh, pray that you would help us all, Lord, to behold the glory of Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> a man by the name of William Borden was born in Chicago in 1887, and he was born to an incredibly rich family. When William was a boy, his mother became a Christian, and soon enough, young William's mother started bringing young William with her to church. And soon enough, also William, by the Lord's grace, became a Christian. And William's family was so wealthy that when he graduated from high school, the, his parents gave him the small gift of a world trip. So he got to literally go around the world at the age of 17. And on this trip, his travel guide was a, name of, a man by the name of Walter Erdman. Walter was a missionary and a minister, and so Walter guided him throughout the, the, uh, the world as he explored the world after graduation. And at, at, on this trip, 17-year-old William was burdened by the many millions of people who had no idea who Jesus was. He was struck and blown away that there were so many people who had never even heard of the name of Christ. And so during that trip, he decided that he would give his life to the spread of the gospel and that he would be a missionary and try to take the gospel to those who had never heard of Jesus. So William came back to the U.S. after his trip and then went on to attend Yale University, where he excelled in sports, in school, was recognized by everyone as an excellent leader there. And he was basically, he had the whole world at his feet. He, the world was his oyster. With his family background and his success in school and uh, in sports and in leadership, he could have literally done anything. But again, by the time William had graduated, high school, or graduated college, he had already committed to going, on, uh, to, going to, uh, to be a missionary to spread the gospel. He could have done anything, but he had already decided that he would dedicate his life to Christ. And so he went off to Princeton Theological Seminary in 19, and then graduated in 1912. And then uh, William Borden, after finishing seminary, did, went on to work with this group called the China Inland Mission. China Inland Mission. 
and he did something similar to an internship in New York with the China Inland Mission. And this led him to learn about one of the people groups in China who had 10 million people who had never heard of the name of Jesus. They were hard to reach, hard to get to, and hard to minister to. But he decided that this was the people group that he felt he should go to. And so he made up his mind that he was going to go to this people group in China. And I believe that the same treasure that William Borden had that made him be willing to leave everything, his, his uh, academic success, the, his family wealth, his potential for jobs that he could have done, literally anything is the same thing, same treasure that those, who have, those of us who are Christians have today. And that treasure is Jesus Christ. So, again, we're going to read Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And today as we study this text, the main thing that this text teaches us is that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure worth joyfully losing everything for. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure worth joyfully losing everything for. Four. And we're going to see this in three points. First, we're going to have the surprise of the kingdom, the surprise of the kingdom. Second, the treasure of the kingdom, the treasure of the kingdom. And third, the joy of the kingdom, the joy of the kingdom. So you got surprise of the kingdom, treasure of the kingdom, and the joy of the kingdom. So our first point is the surprise of the kingdom. Again, let's read Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So Matthew's gospel teaches us that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. He is the king. And as the king comes, he's going to usher in the kingdom. So this theme of kingdom is very important to Matthew's gospel. Jesus is the savior we need. And Matthew chapter 13 specifically is very important in the flow of Matthew's gospel. Because in chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven is being challenged by many. Many are expressing doubts. The religious leaders are challenging Jesus. And it seems that the wise people of the day have want nothing to do with Christ. So people, and especially the disciples, are wondering, is Jesus right? Is, is this the kingdom that we've been waiting for? Because this doesn't, I don't know if this looks exactly like what I was picturing. Maybe the kingdom of heaven wasn't as powerful as we thought. 
So, uh, Jesus, in chapter 13, answers this question. He tells them what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he assures them that even though there is opposition and obstacles to the kingdom, that the kingdom is, ju- is proceeding just as planned. And King Jesus is still on the throne. So in verse 36 of chapter 13, we also see that now after Jesus has gone to uh, be, he was in the crowds, he's now specifically with his disciples. He's in a closed setting. You see that in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him. Specifically, uh, Jesus has also been using parables to communicate truths about what the kingdom is like. And so as we think about this passage, again, we're going to see one central theme, which is that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure worth joyfully losing everything for. And this, this, uh, these parables, are, they have the same main idea, and they're repeated twice as a way to, as, that's Jesus' emphasis, showing us that this is incredibly important. He's repeating it, saying, look at this, don't miss this. The kingdom is incredibly valuable. So the term kingdom of heaven, you may wonder why. You might have seen the kingdom of God in other parts of Scripture, and then this portion of Scripture you'll see kingdom of heaven. You may wonder why does it do that. It is because the Matthew's gospel was originally written to a Jewish audience, a largely Jewish audience. And so the Jews would have not said God's name in an effort to, to maintain the distinction that God is so wholly other, so different than us, that we ought not even say his name. And so the, the Matthew's gospel would not as much use kingdom of God. Instead, it would use kingdom of heaven. But it's referring to the same thing, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, same thing. So from this point on in, in the sermon, I'll probably just refer to it as the kingdom, the kingdom. So same thing, not trying to confuse anyone, same thing, the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? We've said it's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the same thing. What is the kingdom, though? It's God's rule and reign over those who have been redeemed by Jesus. God's rule and reign over those who have been redeemed by Jesus. And the, uh, yes, it's God's rule and reign over those he has saved. And the, the kingdom, again, is extremely valuable because of the king. The king is Jesus. So in Matthew 13, Jesus is telling us what the kingdom is like right now, presently. He isn't talking about some future reality But instead, Jesus is telling the disciples, and he is telling us today what the kingdom is like right now. So some of you guys may have investments that you you need to leave in the bank for a very long time. And these investments could turn out really good. They can make you a ton of money, but the key to getting these investments to grow like you want them to is that you have to act like they're not there at all. You can't touch them. Because if you touch them, then it's not going to work out the same way, okay? So the kingdom of God, the kingdom is not like that. It's a present uh, reality right now, that right now we have access to immense value, this great treasure. So, uh, yeah, this, this treasure is available right now. So, brothers and sisters, this treasure that we're speaking about today is for you today. So treasure Jesus today. And to communicate some truths about this, this treasure, Jesus uses a parable. And a parable is similar to just a short story. Short story. So parables 
aren't necessarily based upon historical facts, uh, meaning they don't have to, you don't have to actually, they don't actually have to have happened in history. And important for us to know also is that we don't have to press parables too deeply. We don't need to dive deep into every single detail, okay? And we kind of know what this is like. I, over the, the past year, I've had this happen to me a couple of times where you say an analogy and you think it's going to land pretty good, and then somebody fixates on something that you didn't intend and carries the analogy to this different point, and then it, it, the point gets kind of lost. That's, that, we all know that inherently, and maybe I just use bad analogies, but I think that in general, we can get the same sort of gist of what that is. So we, we don't need to press every single detail. And so Jesus, similarly, Jesus was not intending for every detail of the parable to be pressed into its logical conclusion. So parables in general have one or two or maybe three main points that we should take away that we don't need to press too deeply into. So as we study the parables of the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great value, don't dig too deep deep into the nitty-gritty. Instead, remember our main idea that the kingdom is a treasure worth joyfully losing everything for. So in our parable, the man and the merchant who sell everything to gain the kingdom are pictured as wise. We're not supposed to think that they are being foolish or that they're being dishonest. And we're also not supposed to read into this that you can buy your salvation. They sell everything to get the kingdom, but that's not what we're supposed to to think of this. And we know that because Jesus himself in Matthew 10.8 says to the disciples that they received the kingdom without paying, so they should give without payment. So this text isn't teaching us that we can pay for salvation. That's not what Jesus taught. But instead, again, the right emphasis is that this man is pictured as wise because he gives everything to get the kingdom. He values the kingdom rightly. Okay, so now we're going to move into our second point, the treasure of the kingdom. The treasure of the kingdom. We're going to see that this kingdom is immensely valuable. So turn again to verse 44, chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this man in verse 44, he goes into a field and finds this treasure. And in the context that Jesus was speaking in, this would have been a not a Thing that never happened because there was no banks at the times. And so what you would do if you had a large sum of money, maybe your retirement, was that you would bury it in a field. But you wouldn't want to bury it in an obvious place. It would be very hard to find so that nobody could, could steal it from you. And so this man here, he's, again, he's not, being, he's not pictured as being greedy or deceitful. He covers up the treasure and goes to sell everything in order to buy it. One commentator said that the chances of finding a treasure like this would be about one in 1,000. So this is a very rare thing, even though it's not unheard of. And so this man happens to find the treasure by chance. And so, again, he sells everything he has. He buys the field. He doesn't just steal the treasure, so he does things legally. So, again, we're not going to press into too many things of this parable that shouldn't be pressed into. The emphasis is on he sees and he values the kingdom rightly. So, 
uh, and then this parable is again paralleled by the parable in verses 45 through 46 by a, a merchant who is uh, in search of fine pearls. And so a merchant is a trader or an expert. So this guy literally makes his living based upon his, uh, value, his ability to appraise pearls rightly. And pearls at this time would be like diamonds today. So if you're going to get engaged, you might look for a pearl, not a diamond. And so these pearls were greatly desired, and this merchant is looking for the best of the best. He could have, in, in, in the context of verse 45 and 6, maybe he examined this pearl very much so. He looked deeply at it. I don't know what the pearl equivalent to like the magnifying glass of the use of the diamond is, but he could have had one of those things. He studied it for a long time. He looked deeply at it and judged after that that, it was, that this pearl was worth more than everything he owned. So if you're a Christian here today and you have a deep longing for some others in your life to come to know Jesus, be encouraged that the Lord can use means like this to draw people to himself. He can use a person who searches for things, who has gone, tried so many different things to, and searched the world, become sort of an expert in religion, and can show them the beauty of the gospel, and they can sell everything they have in order to get it. So if you know someone who you think, can think of right now who is searching, pray for them to see the beauty of the gospel. Pray for them to see the beauty of Jesus. Please pray. So it's natural for us to ask, though, what made this, this treasure, this pearl, so valuable? Why, why is it compared to, to the kingdom compared to a treasure or a pearl? And uh, the, the kingdom here is compared to a treasure or a pearl because the kingdom is seen in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom is seen in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why in Matthew 4, 17 and Mark 1, 15, Jesus says that the kingdom is at hand because when he comes on the scene, the, the kingdom is there also. So if you want to discover the immeasurable riches of the kingdom, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. So what makes this kingdom precious is that we get Jesus. And I would like to highlight five things that we get in Jesus. Five things that we get in Jesus. The first is Jesus's forgiveness. Jesus's forgiveness. The first treasure we get is his forgiveness. And some of you guys came in here today with a mountain of shame, with a mountain of guilt. Maybe it's something you did last night, or it's something that you did years ago. But you just can't seem to get rid of this overwhelming guilt. You've got to remember that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. He shed his blood for you. He loves to forgive sinners. He loves to forgive you. The treasure that we get in Jesus is that he doesn't ask us to be perfect in order to come to him. He forgives us. While we were weak, Christ died for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. 
So we get Jesus' forgiveness. But this treasure doesn't just offer forgiveness. We also get Jesus' person. We get the person of Christ. The being who is the most amazing. The most worthy of awe and delight. The most worthy of our adoration. We get him. We get Jesus. Jesus is our treasure. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that he counts everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. We get to know Jesus. It's true that our souls are restless until they find their rest in him. We get him. And this is one of the biggest losses for, for people entrenched in what is called the prosperity gospel. The gospel that teaches that if you believe in Jesus, you'll get your reward in the form of health, wealth, and financial prosperity. The prosperity gospel says that the reward isn't Jesus. And it's an absolute lie. Friends, don't believe the prosperity gospel. It's also a bad deal. When someone trades, their, the, trades Jesus for, the, for more cars or more money or a better job or better health, all temporary things, you're making a bad deal. You lose out on the person of Jesus. And so the true believer says, I, don't, I want Jesus more than I want a, a better job or a better car or some more money or some more health for 20 more years. I want Jesus more. So friends, don't believe the prosperity gospel. It's a bad deal. And it's simply not true. Please, for your own sake, don't believe the prosperity gospel. So, so far we've seen that we get Jesus' forgiveness and Jesus' person. But that's not all. We also get Jesus' power. Jesus' power. We get the power to resist sin today. Today we can resist sin. It's not an insurance that, is like, that starts in some far-off day, like it starts in January of 2023 and we don't have access to it until then. No, we have Jesus' power to resist sin today. So today, if you treasure Jesus, you have access to the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to not be as anxious as you normally are, to not be as jealous as you normally are. You have the power to fight sin today. So ask Jesus. Call out to him. Cry out to him. Ask him for power to help in fighting your sin today. And you'll have access to that power. And next, we have Jesus' comfort. Jesus' comfort. Some of you guys are feeling beat down. You came in here not knowing if you can make it through the day or through the next week, through the next month, the next year. Brothers and sisters, we've got the treasure of Jesus' comfort. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, are you weary? Are you tired? You got a place to go. Come to me. So whether you're going through a miscarriage or financial hardship, or you are so discouraged and feeling the pain of being single when you desperately desire to be married, whatever it is, you have Jesus. 
And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go to him today. You have access to Jesus' comfort today. And finally, we get Jesus' promise, the treasure of Jesus' promise. So this treasure is not something that you can lose because the eternal God, the one who cannot tell a lie, the one whose word is never broken and his word always comes to pass, that God has said that no one will snatch you from his grip. Nobody can break his grip on you. So you will be with Jesus in heaven if you believe in him. For these reasons and more, the kingdom is spoken of as a treasure and a precious pearl in these verses. It's because there's nothing more valuable than Jesus and the riches found in him. This, tre- this is a treasure that's spoken of in these verses. So I ask you now, is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Would you give everything to gain him? That's the condition of this parable, that you need to be willing to joyfully lose everything for him. Nothing held back. And this is similar to the situation of a man who proposes to a woman. Picture this man, he gets down on one knee, he's asking this lady here, and he says, will you marry me? And there's a pause, and then he says, because... If you will, I promise to forsake most other girls. Single ladies, what what are we going to say to that? I know y'all have a stronger reaction than that. (laughs) Come on. I know it's true. Yeah, even though you're not saying it, I know you're like, no way, man. Get off out of here. What is that? I I don't want most other girls, right? Fathers, if someone, uh, some young man comes to your daughter and says, hey, uh, same thing, you'll be like, man, get out of here. No, what is that? Why? Because the young man doesn't truly love the woman. He's not willing to give up everything else for her. And similarly, the only way we can get Jesus is if he is our treasure. Nothing else. So, think about it. What are you tempted to treasure other than Christ? What are you tempted to treasure? Talk to someone about where you think your treasure is. Tell a trusted brother or sister or pastor to keep you accountable to treasuring only Jesus and to make, a decision out of, or make decisions out of treasuring him. But if you're here today and you would not call yourself a Christian, I would plead with you to treasure this Jesus. Treasure him. Please give up everything to get Jesus. Maybe you've been going to religious events for a long time. You tried out Buddhism for a while and then Islam. And now you would consider yourself an agnostic. Friend, if this is your situation or you're in a similar situation, something like this, I think you're searching. You might be searching. And you may even be a religious merchant. 
And I would urge you to, and plead with you to see the beauty and the worth of Jesus. Look to him to see how much more valuable Jesus is than all the other religions to forsake everything else and go towards Jesus. Come to him. And whether or not you would consider yourself a merchant or not, if you do not treasure Jesus today, if you don't know him and desire him above everything else, I would urge you to come to him. Treasure him. Ask Jesus to give you new eyes and a new heart to treasure him. Run to him. Say, I need that forgiveness, Jesus. I need your person. I need the power to fight sin today. I long for your comfort, Jesus. And I need the promise of eternal life. I would plead with you to come and share in the joy of all those who have found our treasure in Jesus. To come to him, you must believe that God is a holy God and that you are a sinner. But praise God that when you get Jesus, you get the work that he's done. He does all the work for salvation. And so now you must believe in him. Know that you're a sinner, but trust in the sacrifice of Christ. That when he was on earth, he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, but was put to death unjustly. But by doing so, he took the wrath that you deserved. And now, and after he was put to death, he rose on the third day, defeating death for all who would follow after him, who would trust in him. Believe in that gospel, and you will get the treasure of Jesus. So today, run to him. What a treasure we have in Christ. Amen? And so now that we have been uh, seeing the value of the kingdom, we're now going to look at the joy of the kingdom, the joy of the kingdom. So I'm going to reread the verses. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In the original language of verse 44, the text shows that the man is selling everything because of his joy, on account of his joy. It's all based in joy. So don't miss these words. These words change so much for us. The key to selling everything and being content in whatever season the Lord has you in is having joy in Christ. Joy in Christ fuels purity. Joy in Christ fuels our service. So it's all based on joy. And it doesn't mean that you always feel some strange, emotional, uh, mysterious, sensational feeling of joy in order to be, be a Christian, and to, in order to serve well. But this is instead saying that you have a joy in Christ that can take you through the high highs and the low lows of life. A joy that knows that Jesus is yours and nothing can take him away. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39. A joy that realizes that we have Jesus and we have all we need in him. 
I think of my friend Greg, who used to be a drug dealer and addicted to drugs, but now finds his joy in Jesus. That doesn't mean that Greg didn't have a hard time putting off drugs and getting sober and changing his life radically, but he did it with joy because he saw that Jesus was better than everything. Jesus is better than drugs. Jesus is better than lots of money. And Jesus is better than anything else the world can offer. He is better. And so we also must remember to follow Jesus from our joy, on account of our joy, to give everything from our joy. One more time, let's look at these verses, chapter 40, uh, 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And this, this uh, man here, uh, again, he sells everything from his joy. And commentator D.A. Carson says of this, these verses, the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything, everything else to secure it. So anyone who sees the cost of the kingdom joyfully loses everything in order to gain the kingdom. And so, if you're not a Christian in the room, I would encourage you to count the cost of following Jesus. What is it going to mean if I believe in him? What will I have to sell? What will I have to lose? Count it up. But it will certainly be worth it. Whatever it is, it will certainly be worth it. Jesus never promised a life of free of suffering. Instead, he promises that he'll be with you in suffering. And that it will all be worth it. And one of the reasons it's so awesome to see people come to know Jesus is because oftentimes they live this joy out. They joyfully follow Jesus, whatever the cost. I remember a, a guy a, a, a while ago that I knew, he was a newer believer, and this guy just radiated the joy of Christ. He just, lo- he treasured Jesus so much, and you could just tell from basically every interaction that he had. And so one day we were sitting together, and he got a phone call, so he stepped out of the room, and I thought nothing of it. I had no idea who it was. He comes back in the room, and he's like jumping up and down. He's buzzing with energy and stuff. So I asked him, what, what happened, man? He's like, bro, I just shared the gospel. Oh, no way, with who? Like one of those automated messages. It's like, like the, your car insurance warranty is, is about it. Like one of those? He's like, yeah, that, that thing. I shared the gospel with it, man. It might have got, like somebody might hear the gospel and get saved from that thing. And I was confused at first, but I was like, no way, man. You shared the gospel with that thing. Like who knows who could hear the gospel from that? He was just so excited, so joyful about Jesus that he told everyone and everything about Jesus. From picking up a phone to answering the door, whatever it was, he had joy in Jesus and his treasure was in him. And it radiated forth from him. And I think that this is one of the reasons that the Lord gave us the church. The Lord gave us the church. We are so tempted so quickly to find treasure in other things, to look for worldly treasure. Our desires can quickly be placed 
in the perfect spouse, the perfect job, the perfect 401k, whatever it is. But other believers help to stir us up for good works. Remind us that our treasure is in Christ. So if you're struggling to treasure Jesus, I would urge you to get around some church members, to fellowship with them. See, what is your, what, how are you treasuring Jesus now? Live, watch them live their lives. Watch them make silly phone calls and share the gospel over the phone. And see if that doesn't stir your joy for the Lord. See if that doesn't refresh you and bring life back into you. Seasoned saints. Saints who have been around the block a couple of times. You know, you've been following Jesus for a while. Meet up with newer believers, with younger Christians. See if they don't encourage you and uh, refresh your joy in the Lord. They need help too, yeah. There's lots of things that you can give them, like wisdom. But see if you're not also encouraged by them, their love for the Lord, their desire to follow Jesus. So from your joy, Christian, go and sell everything for this treasure, for Jesus. And maybe you're here this afternoon, and you can remember a time when you sold everything for Jesus. You, were, you, you would give anything to follow after him. You didn't physically sell all your possessions, but he was your treasure, and you knew it. But it's been a while. And you're in the daily struggle now of slowly putting off sin, slowly trying to reform your life to Christ, and it's hard. And again, our hearts are quick to look for other treasures. And so maybe you're asking the question, how can I grow in treasuring Jesus? How can I grow in treasuring Jesus? That's a great question. And Paul helps us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So, if you want to treasure Jesus more, behold the glory of Christ. Look at him. And specifically, look at him in his word. Delight in the word. Search the word. Mind deep the word of God. Day in and day out. Search for the glory of Jesus. This is how transformation happens. Transformation happens from looking and looking again and again at the glory of Christ. And also, you must remind yourself continually that following Jesus is more important than anyone or anything. Following Jesus is more important than anyone or anything. He's more important than power or praise of others. He's more valuable than pleasure or profit. He is the best treasure. And this is another reason why we need the body of Christ. We need to be in communion with other believers regularly. Because we look for treasures in different places so often. We need other believers to ask us challenging questions. Hey, where are you? What, what are you treasuring right now? Because it doesn't look like you're treasuring Jesus right now. Oh, that's, I need to think about that. 
members of NCBC. Your fellow members need you to ask them challenging questions about where their treasure lies. They need you, and you need them to ask you challenging questions about where your treasure lies. To ask you, are you really treasuring Jesus more than anyone or anything? And the, the way the, the body of Christ uh, is such a good example in this is at my previous church, it was a, a couple months ago, um, there was a, a young sister who, to spare you of all the details, lost a lot for following Jesus. They were faced with a tough situation to either follow Jesus and forsake, or, or follow Jesus and forsake their job, their, their passion, and some of their friends, or to remain faithful to Christ. And this young woman lost her job, her passion, and her, her, some of her friends. She lost it all. But in retrospect, she was able to confidently say that she made the right decision. She followed Jesus and was faithful to him. And that was better than, than keeping those other things because she stayed faithful to Jesus. She got Jesus. And so that's why we need other brothers and sisters to show us, to model to us what it looks like to treasure Christ. So again, I would encourage you to ask yourself, what am I tempted to treasure other than Christ? What is it? Find it out. Don't just think about it and then stuff it down and then two seconds later you're on to something else, right? Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 21. If, if you have trouble finding out where your treasure is, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, what makes your heart sing? What makes your heart jump for joy because you're so happy? Is it the praise of others? Is it a bonus that you got at work? Or is it Jesus? And the fact that you get him. Think about it. And talk, to it, talk about it with a trusted brother or sister or pastor. Talk about it to someone. Confess that. And if, if it's not Jesus, and try to, to focus your desires again on Christ. Behold the glory of Christ. And remember, I always ask yourself questions. Think of the end of your sins. Is your sin more valuable than your Savior? Is your comfort more valuable than Christ? Let me tell you a secret. It's not. It's not even close. Treasure Jesus today. So we need to watch out for treasuring other things than Christ. And this is not just some burdensome task that the Lord just gives us to weigh us down. It's for our joy and our good. So you see, no one in history has ever thought that losing everything to gain the treasure of Jesus a deal. No one, like ever. Everyone has made a happy trade-off. And this will ultimately be seen when we are with Jesus one day in heaven. So the reason that our main idea was the kingdom is a treasure worth joyfully losing, everything, joyfully losing everything for is because we are actually gaining. 
This is a good deal for us. Brothers and sisters, remind yourself that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29 is true. That whoever sacrifices for Jesus' sake will receive it back a hundredfold and will receive eternal life with him. Remind yourself that whoever sacrifices for Jesus is not losing. So our riches are not in the form of money or big houses, but they're in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is a good deal. Don't trade what can be torn down by snowstorms or messed up by the stock market for Jesus. The eternal treasure of knowing Jesus. It's not even close. And so as we close, I would like to finish the story of William Borden. When we left off, we heard that William Borden was committed to spreading the gospel amongst an unreached people group in China. He had gone to seminary, and he was prepared to go. But the first step that William Borden took to get to these people was not actually to go to China. No, instead, he went to Egypt to learn Arabic so he could minister to this people group in China so that he could communicate with them, to share the good news of Christ with them. And so he left America for Egypt in December of 1912. But on March 21st of 1913, so he got there December, March 21st of 1913, a couple months later, he contracted spinal meningitis. And on April 9th of 1913, four months after arriving, 19 days after he arrived, uh, Sorry, four months after he had left for Cairo and um, 19 days after he contracted spinal meningitis, he died in Cairo, Egypt. He didn't even set foot in China. But he left behind a will that willed over $1 million in 1913, which is about $29 million today, to be used to support the spread of the gospel around the globe. And he left behind his Bible, which made its way to his grieving parents. And as his grieving parents opened up the Bible of their late son, they saw written on the inside leaf of his Bible the words, No Reserves. And these words were dated to his a global trip around the world after graduation, which is when he had committed to becoming a missionary. No reserves. And then at some point in between his, his commitment to becoming a missionary and to when he went to Cairo, he had written the words, no retreats. No reserves, no retreats. And then on his deathbed in Cairo, Egypt, he wrote the words, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. NCBC, no reserves. NCBC, no regrets. Or sorry, no, uh, no retreats. And NCBC, no regrets, even if death comes for us, because our joy, our treasure is in Jesus. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the treasure of Jesus. We ask that you would help, him, help us to view him rightly. That there would be no one or no thing that we give ultimate value to other than him. And help us to have joy in the treasure of knowing Jesus. That Jesus would be our delight. In Jesus' name, amen.